freedom fighters, freedom lovers, and those who just want stuff for free. Hello, it's me, your humble, with somewhat above average intelligence, good looks and style, Mr. Palumbo, and welcome to the Professor Liberty Podcast. Happy Wednesday, folks. I hope everyone's doing well today. Boy, we're going through a heat wave out here in the West. Uh, out here in Vegas, I think we're going to get to 115. Oh, my goodness. So make sure you're drinking water and you're staying cool. And above all, you're refusing to listen to anything that comes out of the mainstream media's mouth. They've been shown to be a bunch of liars. The best way to stay cool is to not fall for the propaganda. All right, folks, today's Wednesday, June 16th, and something interesting happened back in 1965. A somewhat known folk singer from Minnesota put down his acoustic guitar, plugged in a couple electric guitars, and recorded a song which many cite as one of the most influential rock and roll songs in history. Of course, I'm talking about the great Bob Dylan, and the song he recorded was Like a Rolling Stone. Now, I have to admit, I do like a few of Bob Dylan's songs. I don't like them all. I'm not a huge Bob Dylan guy. Uh, I do like Blowing in the Wind. I've, I've actually used that in class when we're talking about the, the, the era of protest in the 60s and the Vietnam War and civil rights. So we've looked at that a couple times in class. But I do find Bob Dylan interesting because he's so popular. And I'm really intrigued with what makes people have such broad appeal. A lot of people have covered Bob Dylan songs. So obviously there's something they artistically see in his music. He has influenced countless artists, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. And a lot of his music, he didn't even record. A lot of it he did, but there's some music that he didn't even record. Other people recorded it, and it became hits. In other cases, he wrote the song, made it a hit, and then someone else took it and made it a hit. So the guy uh, is definitely talented and definitely one of the most influential artists, at least of the 20th century. I don't know if he's doing much in this century. So the story goes something like this. In a studio in Manhattan, Bob Dylan and his band put down their guitars, picked up some electric fenders, found an Oregon, and made music history. History.com writes it this way. By the spring of 1965, Bob Dylan's presence in the world of music was beginning to be felt well outside the boundaries of his normal genre. Within the world of folk music, he had been hailed as a hero for several years already, but now his music was capturing the attention and influencing the direction of artists like the Birds, the Beatles, and even a young Stevie Wonder. With Dylan as the direct inspiration, popular music was about to change its direction. But so was Dylan himself. On June 16, 1965, on the second day of recording at Columbia Records Studio A in Manhattan, he and the band featured guitars and an organ and laid down a master track of a song that would change like a rolling stone. It would prove to be the folk singer Bob Dylan's magnum opus and arguably the greatest rock and roll record of all time, unquote. 
Like many things in history, at the beginning of things, this so-called magnum opus didn't seem like much to the music execs. They were afraid that the song was too long at over six minutes, and it was not going to be palatable for public consumption, especially from a recording company known for putting out artists like Johnny Mathis. In other words, this song was too long and too unorthodox. It wasn't going to make them any money. And here we have it, folks, the constant struggle between art and business. And I have to say, in today's world, art is especially nearing extinction. If you look at the movies, if you look at the music, never mind literature or paintings, nobody cares about that, what kind of art is our culture putting out? Because the kind of art and literature our, our society puts forth says something about us. And I would say we are artistically bankrupt. That's why we're going back to this endless cycle of rehashing movies from the 80s and 90s. Or we have a steady stream of superhero movies that have, haven't stopped coming out since at least 2008. And we got all these Star Wars movies. And they're not anything artistic about them. Most of them are just left-wing propaganda now. I do think Netflix and Amazon are trying to stretch the bounds with some of these independent movies and see what works, and some of that stuff is pretty good. But what made the music and the art back in the 60s and back in Dylan's heyday was it challenged narratives. Movies and art and music today supports the narrative. It's all about the cookie-cutter, microwave, what's going to make me a quick buck. Artists can put out songs uh, you know, very easily. They make a couple bucks. And the song goes into obscurity. But here we have a song that still is resonating with people today. And that's what good art is. Good art lasts. There's even YouTube videos that you can watch where people are hearing the song for the first time. Uh, and those reactions are kind of funny. So as the story goes, the producers refused to release the song as a single. And it was only till after executives witnessed the profound popularity of the song when it was leaked to a DJ that they decided to change course and publish it. You know, art is all about taking risks, isn't it? This is also, and yet in our society today, we're all about adver you know, avoiding risks. We don't want to take any risks. Things might offend us, right? It's funny because we're getting rid of To Kill a Mockingbird because it's about the injustice uh, suffered uh, a, a black man was wrongly accused, right? Well, that's why we should read the book. That's exactly why we should read the book. That's the exact point of the book, right? So art takes risks and art challenges us. You know, it kind of reminds me of the story, the Rocky story, the movie Rocky. Everything about that story, you might be familiar with it, but everything about that story, about how the movie became a reality, goes against conventional wisdom. You know, Sylvester Stallone was a homeless or a near-homeless nobody actor. He wrote a script for a movie on legal pads, you know, within the span, within the span of a weekend after watching a Muhammad Ali fight. He pitches it to the studios he wants to star in it. It's a low-budget movie. And now it's one of these movies. What, 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 what Rocky are we on now? I mean, we've got, we got five Rocky movies, six Rocky movies. We've got a couple offshoots of Rocky movies, right? Who would have thought? 
Who, who cares about boxing? Does anybody watch boxing anymore? But we know that it's all about risks. Art takes risks. And there's nothing lasting or enduring about a leftist propaganda movie. I mean, I think the, the best or I guess the deepest of the Avenger movies is probably Winter Soldier, where at least they're talking about the the cost, counting the cost between security and freedom. That's about it. All the other movies are just a bunch of guys in costumes and they got big muscles and they fly around and they beat the crap out of each other. I mean, there's no there's no point to the movies. There's no deeper thought. There's no deeper meaning. So I think that's what makes a good artist. You take risks. But art is also about reflecting and questioning and sometimes resisting the culture. I've said this before, that songwriters are the modern-day poets. And if you want to see what our culture is all about, read and listen to some of these songs. You might get depressed. So don't listen to them right now. That's homework for later. Go listen to some of these songs and analyze some of these songs. They will tell you who we are, ladies and gentlemen. Our movies and our songs are telling us who we are. And I think that's what makes Bob Dylan so appealing is that his songs took risks and it challenged the narratives. Imagine if a song did that today. Even History.com goes on to say, quote, the impact of Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone is not that it was commercially a success, but that it was creative, unquote. Okay, so I have to admit, since we're talking about this song, you know, it's not my favorite Bob Dylan song. I do think it goes a little long, so I'm kind of with the executives here. Uh, but it is appealing in some ways. Uh, you can't really hear what he says uh, which kind of leads back to that folk rock sound. Uh, music critics said the ironic thing about the song, though, is that rock, folk music is about uh, love and harmony and peace, and this song has a very vindictive theme. So in the song, the narrator is kind of rubbing it in this woman's face. She used to be rich, and somehow she's fallen from grace, and... Uh, He's kind of saying, I told you so, how does it feel? So the ironic thing about this song is it's supposed to be the greatest folk rock song ever, and it kind of talks about vengeance and resentment instead of love, peace, and harmony. So all songs have an origin, and uh, this one's kind of funny. Legend has it that uh, it started on a 10 to 20 page string of lyrics that Dylan himself described as, quote, vomit. <laughs> However, that original manuscript sold for $2 million. So, you, hey, guys, you might have a song out there and you might think it's vomit, but you never know. You just never know. Some people uh, who were his folk purist followers criticized Dylan for abandoning the faith and going into rock. Uh, and a lot of people saw this song as Dylan's official crossover into rock and roll. During the recording, the song actually didn't really get started until the end of the first day. They were kind of fooling around with it. Dylan uh, played a slower version of, of the song to the band uh, towards the end of that day. And then on the second day, on the 16th, they picked it back up first thing in the morning. Did you know that the organ riff in the song was played by a guy who didn't even know how to turn the organ on? <laughs> that was a funny little fun fact. The song hit the shelves on July 20th, 1965, 
Bruce Springsteen is quoted as saying he was 15 when he heard the song and it was like a door opened in his mind. And you guys might know that Jimi Hendrix, the, you know, the rock guitarist god, uh, he loved and idolized Bob Dylan and he was very influential on him because Jimi Hendrix thought he couldn't sing very well and he saw the success of Dylan and he said, well, if Dylan can be such a great success without a singing voice, why can't I? That's another thing about art that's so important. Great art is going to influence generations. And yet, like I said earlier, art is becoming an endangered species. When was the last time we marveled at a song or a piece of art? Or when was the last time we turned off our cell phones, turned off our computer screens, looked up at the sky and viewed the stars and were inspired? You know, inspiration and art go hand in hand. Are we inspired by anything today? What makes a good song today? What is considered art today? Can anyone answer any of these questions? In reviewing the song, and especially the melody, a website called Rock to Reason writes, and this was a very good, uh, eloquent writing, so I'm going to quote it at length. It is hard to find words to do justice here. The music is at the same time ethereal and earthly, classical and improvisational, stately and sensuous, austere and warm, hollowed and irreverent. The instruments weave together in an intricate pattern, yet at the same time move the song along at a measured pace, alternatively relaxing and pushing at just the right paces, supporting and emphasizing the effects of the words. The overall effect, and I like this here, I like what they said here, the overall effect is of being in a church, yet a church that acknowledges all the rich complexities and mysteries of human existence foregoing any easy moral judgments, unquote. For me, the cadence of the lyrics is kind of where it's at. And I think if you guys go and listen to the song, he talks really fast, and then he kind of slows down. And then he talks really fast, and then he kind of slows down. And it kind of rises and falls. And I think the music kind of acts like a wave and on the ocean, back and forth. So I definitely think it's an enjoyable listening and sometimes when uh, a song is really easy to listen to, we kind of uh, don't really pay attention. And that's one of the problems with pop music, right? Pop music is so fun because it makes you dance, but you don't really get any, there's no deeper level than beyond the first or second, you know, level of a song, right? Pop music you can play, nobody's really paying attention. I think with Dylan, you really start to try to pay attention. Maybe not this song so much, but definitely if you listen to Blowing in the Wind, Times Are a-Changing, he definitely draws you in with what he's trying to say. At the very beginning of the song, it kind of starts with this crash of sound, and it sounds kind of chaotic at first. But once Dylan starts to sing, the melody really starts to get interesting. I also think there's a visceral reaction to the song. We all enjoy telling somebody, I told you so. And this song is a whole lecture on, see, how do you feel now? I told you so. So there's this idea of, I've been wronged, I've been abused, you weren't listening to me, I've told you this was going to happen, and now it's happened. So I think we kind of get this satisfaction when we listen to the song of putting ourselves in the singer's shoes and telling this lady, how does it feel? Well, there you have it, folks. 
June 16th. 1965, Bob Dylan officially crosses over into the rock and roll sphere and records Like a Rolling Stone, one of the greatest rock songs ever recorded. So go ahead and take a listen to it. And uh, if you guys want to drop me a line, give me your critiques. What's good about the song? What's bad about the song? You know, we need to start connecting back to art. You know, when I had opportunities in class, we would I would let kids listen to music and then I would let kids look at famous artworks. We got to connect back with the things that make us human, you know, likes and posts and tweets and uh, influencing and YouTube videos. That's not what makes us human. Okay, what makes us human is finding ways to manifest our emotions in things like song, dance expression, literature, that's what art is. And that's what we need to get back to. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please give me a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to email the show, the email is professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. You can also follow and message me on Facebook. I'm also on Parlor. Until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty.